Well, good morning. Before we start the message, let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, and we're grateful for the faithfulness, compassion, grace, and mercy you show us each and every day. Lord, we pray now that our hearts and minds would be focused on you, that your word would accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it, and that, Lord, you would create within us a deeper love for Jesus Christ, your Son, and a deeper um, passion and conviction about the things that are important to him. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Last fall, the the church staff and I had the opportunity to uh, go to Nebraska for uh, a retreat put on by our our conference, our denominational conference. Uh, The featured speaker of the couple days we were there was a man named, a pastor named John Teeter. He's a pastor from California. And he works with our denomination a lot with um, sharing faith, evangelism, bridge building, and so on and so forth. Uh, during the course of the couple of days, we, we addressed several questions. Um, a couple of them, for example, were, how do we most effectively share our faith in Jesus Christ? Another one was, what are the objections those who choose not to follow Jesus have regarding the Christian faith? What is the cultural landscape in which we live and move and breathe as Christians? And how do people today receive and embrace truth in a way that changes their lives? Over the course of those couple days, Teeter laid out some very thought-provoking ideas, data, and information. For instance, uh, he began with the assumption that we live in a post-modern, post-Christian world. In other words, the prevailing worldview and sentiment of the average person in our nation is increasingly one where any sort of worldview, biblical worldview, is not only rejected, but not even given consideration. More and more, he said, the, the idea of absolute truth has been put aside for a, for a different approach which places all religions and all worldviews and philosophies on equal footing with equal value. <clears throat> and truth, Teeter asserted, with facts and surveys to back it up, truth is now received primarily through relationships and experience, not through propositional teaching and exchange of ideas. A survey that by George Barna, who's a respected pollster and sociologist, recently researched the attitudes, beliefs, and, and, um, and practices, spiritual practices of 18 through 30-year-olds. Pretty startling stats. After leaving home within a few years, over 80% of Christian young adults will not only leave the church, but most of them will never come back. Among those who do not claim to be Christian, 16% have a favorable view of Christians. Among that same group, 3% have a favorable view of evangelicals. Another survey asked people, what's the word that comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? A majority responded, judgmental. And church attendance is down to about 17 to 20 percent nationwide. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking of friends or family or people that you you care about and and know of who are part of that uh, 80 to 83 percent who are not involved in a faith community. And, And those people you know don't have faith and belief in Jesus Christ. God has placed a burden on you, on your heart for them. Given the data, It's obvious that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a a lot of work to do in our society. 
There are, are not only tremendous needs, but tremendous challenges and obstacles to forwarding the message of Jesus Christ. But yet, with great challenge comes great opportunity. And, and God is, is waiting to open doors for us to do great things, to help people, to love people, to point them to the love and the grace and the life that God offers them in Jesus Christ. But given the attitudes cited in these surveys, given the atmosphere of our rapidly changing culture and world, how do we change the tide and how do we most effectively share our faith in a way that others will not reject, but consider and embrace? Today we're beginning a, a new sermon series entitled 72, and it's, it's called 72 because of the 72 disciples in Luke 10 that Jesus sends out to do his work, to spread his truth, to, to demonstrate his love. And over the next few weeks, we'll use this passage, Luke 10, as sort of a, a home base from which we'll branch out as we look at other passages as well in the Scripture that deal with this, this whole idea and issue of, of sharing our faith. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke 10 for just a few minutes, make a couple of comments about it, and then we'll move to our companion passage for the day, which is found in Luke chapter 19. Now, if you're sitting there this morning and thinking, well, sharing your faith is is best left to those who are gifted that way. Or sharing your faith is only for those who are mature in Christ, who, who are extroverts, who, who have a way, a gift of gab with people. What's interesting about the 72 who are sent out by Jesus is that they're not part of any inner circle. They're not part of the core group of 12. They're not part of Jesus' leadership circle. We really don't know much about them. We don't know their names. We don't know where they're from. We don't know what their training and vocation is. We don't know how long they've been following Jesus. We simply know they're part of this large group of people who've been attracted to the message of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and who have begun to follow him. They're part of the masses, ordinary average people like you and, and like me. The only thing special that we can find about them in the scripture is this. It's that Jesus called them. Verse 1 puts it this way. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So Jesus called them and sent them ahead in pairs to kind of go ahead of him to prepare the way when he would come and try to reach people. And what this tells me is that while we need to grow in our faith and while we certainly need to grow in our understanding of God's word so we can effectively share it, we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to be spiritual giants. We don't have to understand everything. We don't have to be fully mature in Christ to be used of God to share our faith and reach others effectively for Jesus. We are all called and we are all to be used by God to reach those around us in our sphere of influence. And we simply need to be willing to go wherever Jesus goes. The second thing I want to draw attention to briefly before we move to Luke 19 is what Jesus tells the 72 to do before they go. Verse 2, where it says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We are to pray, in other words. We're to ask God the Father to send people who will go into the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll say more about this a little bit later and a lot more about it next week. But the role of prayer in sharing our faith effectively and fruitfully cannot be overstated. 
If we want to be effective in reaching people for Christ, we must begin and we must be people of prayer. So let's look now at Luke 19, verses 37 through 40. And while you're turning there, before I read it, in this passage, a little bit of context, Jesus is, is entering Jerusalem the week before the Passover feast. Yeah, so we know at the end of this week that Jesus will be crucified on a cross for our sins and then he will be raised from the dead uh, from the tomb. And so at the beginning of this week, there's this huge crowd of people who are, who are gathered. They, the buzz about Jesus has preceded Jesus. His reputation has preceded him. People have heard about the miracles he's done. They've heard about the profound teaching. They know, they know he's a controversial figure, and so they want to they get a look at him. They want to they get close to him. They want to hear from him. And so there's this huge anticipation upon Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. Pick it up now at verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, now what's Jesus mean by this exchange? Well, for a part of the answer, we're going to turn to Rolling Stone magazine. In a Rolling Stone interview a few years back, Tanya Donnelly, lead singer of a Grammy-nominated alternative rock band named Belly, I'm sure many of you have that on your playlist, um, she notes this. For some reason, God is embarrassing to people. It doesn't embarrass somebody to talk about how they com got completely bombed the night before and puked all over themselves, but God is a really embarrassing subject, and that's kind of strange. I don't know where she stands spiritually, but she is right in this instance. You know, it's odd that we are afraid to talk about religion, but we'll talk about sex, about money, about our rough childhood, our struggling marriage, our, our struggling kids. You know, often people give advice to stay away from politics and religion in conversation with others, saying politics are too controversial and religion or faith is, is too personal and private. But Jesus does not consider faith to be a private, personal issue. Now, certainly it's personal in that each one of us is to relate to God, the Father, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's how we're saved, not through our parents' faith, our friends' faith, our spouse's faith. But Jesus is saying in the face of the Pharisees, who were the religious rulers and leaders of the day, he was saying, it is right and good for my disciples to speak about me to speak of me passionately in the public sphere. In fact, if they did not, the very stones, the whole of creation would cry out. They would speak of my glory. So what this means is that if we claim the name of Jesus Christ, speaking about him to others is, is not an option. It's expected. It's to be the natural response of a person who has met Jesus Christ and his life has been changed. But how are we to do it in a way that will not be rejected or offensive? Well, first, we need to treat people as individuals created and loved by God, not as projects to be one for God. 
Genesis 1.27 affirms the value of each individual. So God created man in his own image. In his image, he created him, male and female. He created them. The Apostle Peter said in, in chapter 3 of his first letter, verse 15, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And he adds a qualifier. But do this with gentleness and respect. Each and every person who has ever walked the face of this earth are people who are created by and loved by God. Each and every person is someone of whom Jesus Christ thought so highly that he gave his life for them on a cross. And as his followers, we need to value them and honor them and respect them as much as Jesus Christ did and does. So the co-worker who's vulgar and profane, who just isn't very likable, he needs Jesus and we are to love him as Jesus does. And the classmate who thinks all Christians are a little bit crazy in the head, who likes to party, she needs Jesus. And we are to love her and respect her as Jesus does. And the neighbor who is the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet, but who doesn't believe because, well, they just can't see it, they don't get it, they don't see their need, he needs Jesus too. And we are to love and respect that person just as Jesus Christ did and does. God loves each one of them just as much as he loves you and me. And when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, he died for their sins too. You know, in all things in relationships, we are to take our cues from Jesus. And in the Gospels, we're told that Jesus looked on the crowds and had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. It doesn't say that Jesus looked on them with disgust or condescension or with irritation or judgmentalism or with apathy or disinterest. It says he saw their pain, their hurt. He had compassion on them. He saw their sin and he loved them. That is a huge part of effectively sharing our faith and being used of God to reach others for Jesus. We are to see people through Jesus' eyes. And when they in turn look into our eyes, they are to see love and care and respect and compassion. Second, if we want to effectively share our faith, we are to look for where God is already at work in the lives of those around us and then to join God in that work. Myron's Augsburger puts it this way. He says, when I evangelize, I simply am trying to describe people's deepest concerns and show how Jesus is addressing them and wants to address them further. And so if somebody is struggling with anger, we can show them how Jesus gives peace that passes all understanding. And if a person is struggling with guilt, we can talk about how Jesus offers forgiveness. And if a person is, is struggling with changing addictive, person, addictive attitudes in their life and, and, and behaviors, we can talk about how Jesus has come to set them free. And if somebody is struggling with feeling loved, we can point them to God's unconditional love for them. We are to try to figure out what God is doing in their lives and then to, and then to reinforce and help them discover what God is saying to them, what God is already doing in them and through them and for them. Third, if we want to most effectively share our faith, this is going back to what we said earlier, we are to pray. We are to pray first, 
listen to God. Pray second, listen to others. And then and only then are we to speak into their lives. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy, I urge you then to pray for everyone. Our first role in evangelism is the task of committed, consistent, relentless, persistent prayer for those around us. Evangelism is the activity that we engage in, but what occurs is, is, is a mystery. The Bible says it's the mystery of the gospel. And it's a mystery because it's not from us. It comes from God, and, and God works in people's lives. He is the evangelist who draws people to himself, and we are simply tools as we pray and seek him and follow him and, and go where Jesus goes. We are simply tools that the, the, the evangelist, God, uses to draw people to Jesus Christ. So we are to pray. Pray for those that all would be saved. Fourth, we are to talk naturally and authentically about what Jesus Christ has done in our life. And this is, this is very important. If we don't have this, the rest is all for naught. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so what that presupposes is that there's something in our life that people notice and, and wonder about and, and ask us about. We cannot share with people something that we ourselves have not experienced. And we cannot take people to a place that we ourselves have not gone, gone to. Billy Graham has said this regarding evangelism. It's, it could be that one of the great hindrances to evangelism today is the poverty of our own experience. Donald Miller, who's a Christian author in his book, Blue Like Jazz, writes honestly about his evangelistic misgivings because of the, the lack of depth of his faith. He writes, I could not in good conscience tell a friend about a faith that did not excite me. I could not share something that I was not experiencing. And I was not experiencing Christianity. It didn't do anything for me at all. It felt like math, like a system of rights and wrongs and political beliefs, but it wasn't mysterious. It wasn't God reaching out of heaven to do wonderful things in my life. And if I would have shared Christianity with somebody, it would have felt mostly like I was trying to get somebody to agree with me rather than to meet Jesus Christ. Our effectiveness in sharing our faith with others is directly connected to how connected we are to God the Father. I mean, have you ever been around somebody whose faith is so contagious, so passionate, so compelling? Those are the people that God most often uses to do great things and to reach others for Christ. It has less to do with personality type. You don't have to be an extrovert. You don't have to be, have certain gifts. You don't have to have the gift of gab. You simply have to be somebody who is passionate about Jesus Christ, who's connected to Jesus Christ, and who is passionate about those who do not know Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke to this in John 15 when he said, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. You know, in my opinion, the personal mission statement of Jesus Christ comes from Luke 19, verse 10, where he says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And if that was Jesus' mission statement, 
for his life and ministry on earth, then how can it not be ours? Our mission statement as a church is that we want to go deeper in Christ and go further in mission. And, and how far we go in mission will be determined by how deep we go in Christ. If we are not abiding in Jesus Christ on a daily basis as individuals and as a church, through the Word of God, through prayer, through service, through giving, through, through sacrifice, through fellowship, our, if we are not doing that on a consistent basis, our, our mission will be limited and not be what God is calling us to do and wanting, us to, and wanting to do in us and through us. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking more in depth about how we can be one of the 72, how we can go where Jesus goes and how we can be a part of, of reaching our world for Christ. But today, as we conclude, I want you to be thinking about a couple of questions as we prepare and begin this sermon series together. First, will we, like the 72, be willing to go wherever Jesus goes? Will we love others and see others through the eyes of Jesus Christ? Will we pray consistently, passionately, obediently for those that God puts upon our heart? Will we abide in Jesus Christ and go deeper in Him and then share our experience from the overflow? As we say yes to these questions, I am, I am sure that God will use us in increasing ways to bring a lost world to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we, we thank you for your word and we thank you that your word tells us that when we were dead in sin, you reached out to us through your son Jesus Christ and brought us to faith in him. Lord, we pray that as individuals and as a church, we would, um, we would go deeper in that relationship and that you would create within us a burden and a passion, a conviction that our lives are to be about advancing your kingdom, sharing our faith, serving others, honoring and respecting others in the name of Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we begin this, this, this study together, um, give us obedient hearts, willing hearts, to go where you want us to go, to do what you want us to do, and to be who you want us to be. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.